0: Welcome to New Life Miami. And thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are But listen up. I want you to look at someone and I asked my wife and I think even Eli, yes, on Friday, but, but there's different ways of saying this and we we're trying to figure it out. I think the right way of saying it is something has to give and then my wife says, no, I think it's something's got to give. So I don't know what your slang is and the way that you do say it, but I'm going to say it, something needs to give, okay? So look at the person next to you and say, something needs to give. All right. And, and, and um, we're past the tithing offering, so give that, but we're talking about something different right now. But something needs to give. One more time. Now everyone look at me and smile. Yeah, we're getting better. Here we go. Something needs to give. I want to talk to you a moment about responding. Let me just go right into my notes so I don't um, destroy what God's put in my heart here. But there are three words that we've been speaking here in our house often, especially in the last four months. Please pay attention today. Please, because I believe that God might be calling some of you to respond in a way that you maybe have not responded in a long time just please listen three words in which we've been speaking here often and how many of you have heard these words being spoken here awake maybe you could already say the next one good aware and what and responding awake aware and responding come on say with me aware and responding praise God awake aware and responding and we've been talking about uh, spiritual awakening, that God would awaken us from our spiritual conditions. Amen? And number two, that God, that sorry, that we'd be aware of that. That we'd be aware of the Holy Spirit's leading in our gatherings and also in our very own personal life. Aware, amen? Awake and aware. And number three, that what? That it would cause now a response from us toward God. And I don't know how that looks like to you today, but maybe it sounds like go for it. We've been talking a lot about that, right? Go for it. Look at, look at someone and say, go for it. Go for it. What is the response of going for it look like f- to you for the sake of the person that's sitting next to you? <laughs> Awake, aware, or, and? Responding. And I want to take a moment today and I want to share on the word responding and I want to share it with the title of something needs to give. Something needs to give. Let me share my heart with you. Last Sunday, Pastor Leo's message or heaven's message to us through Pastor Leo was special. And I'm sorry, that, you know, some of you asked, asked for, we had technical difficulties. You can't hear it. You missed it. But those that were here, man, I really hope you're still eating that up. And you took notes and you're and receiving that. What, a, what an amazing word that was in God's guidance and what that looks like, and it's too many points to even go into it. But it was a lot. He, he, you could tell it was a lot, because Leo never preaches for an hour and 10 minutes. And um and he preached for an hour and 10 minutes. So that means today you could give me an hour and 10 minutes. Amen. <laughs> all right. Responding. So that was amazing, but I want to share my heart and be transparent with you guys as I've shared this with some of you all here, some of the leaders. And I want to take a moment and, and just share with you what happened in my heart and, and, and in me two weeks ago. We spent some time talking about he loved first. How many of you were here two weeks ago when we talked about he loved first? He loved first. And we went into that, and I, and I said that your greater love for God is found in encountering his initial love for you. Okay? And, and we spoke about he loved first. And we studied First John chapter 4, and we studied Romans chapter 5 thoroughly, and we looked at every single word in there, and it was a special moment in his word. But when we left that Sunday, when we left that Sunday, um, to be honest with you, my spirit was—I guess the best way of saying it was—uneased. If that's even a word, but uneased. It, it was. It was. It was not. It wasn't like, ah, "What? What? What?" Lord, I need to be placed. In, I need to go into prayer because it, it was uneased. And the reason why I feel that—I I believe that God was using that message of He loved first as an invitation for us to respond. I really believe that. I believe that. The whole he loved first was actually God saying, now, now come in and respond to that word that I just gave you. I feel like that's what he told us. So because you are here, I'm believing that you have experienced that God first loved you. Amen? If you're here, I believe that. That you've experienced at some point or another that God loved you first. And that, that statement right there, please, that should be so humbling. That should be so humbling and so impactful that what comes from you is a, is a proper response to enter into deeper waters with God. He loved me first. Wow, that's humbling and that's so impactful that all I could do is go deeper with God. Okay? And I, and, I, and I hope you haven't lost that. And I hope you get that today. Because for many of us, we can admit that nothing else is working. How many of you have tried like a lot of things and it hasn't worked in certain areas of your life? Thank you, the one person that raised their hand. They know who they are. This word's for that person today. But how many of you know that, that God is, 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 you've been trying, you've done things, you've searched everywhere, you've cried out, maybe you haven't, whatever. But you've recognized or you could admit today that nothing else has worked, nothing else is working. You, you, say, you could say things like this, ready, my life is in shambles, my marriage is, in, is a constant problem, I don't have joy I'm constantly fighting depression. I don't read his word, not really praying, at least with the, heart, with the right heart. A lifestyle of worship is non-existent to me. My life is a roller coaster with with ups and downs, more downs than ups. Spiritually, I'm ill. I'm not healthy. My spiritual man is sick. I keep, listen, I keep coming to church, but not with the heart and mindset and gathering to give him the highest praise. I come because it's more of a fight to continue to survive. Me being here is more about trying not to die than it is about me being more alive than ever before. Come on, I know you can relate to that kind of stuff. I come over here but pastor don't think for once that I'm alive. Some of you are like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm alive. But maybe the majority are like, I keep coming, but it's more survival still. It's like I'm trying to survive, and me being here is that I'm more dead than I actually am alive. It's, uh, I'm, I'm more needing water than I am coming to pour out. So this is a place where, where it's hard for me to release because I come here on Sundays, and it's more of a place that I need to receive. And, and then we say, whoa, if we do that for the rest of our lives, we do church and gathering wrong. Okay. Nothing's working. Nothing is working. All these things that you've just said and many other things that you haven't said, I could relate to it. Nothing is working. So, so I want to tell you this, that it's not the life that God has intended for you. If you say this, ready? my life is in shambles my marriage continues to be a constant problem I don't have joy I'm constantly fighting depression I don't really read his word or pray and if I do it's not the right heart not feeling anything a lifestyle of worship non-existence to me my life is a roller coaster more downs and ups I keep coming to church but not to really offer praise I come because it's more of survival for me every time I'm here it's not about me okay listen it's more when I'm here it's more about me trying not to die than it is about me being more alive than ever nothing is working if you can relate to any of those things I want to to make sure that I, I am clear with this, none of that is God's intention for you. And if and if you took that as it is, then I don't know how much longer you'll last with God. I don't know how much longer you're gonna say, oh, "I'm gonna." Do. There's got to get to a point. Let, let me just get into this. There's no way that that I could just be here and stand here. And just watch us or watch you settle in this kind of lifestyle. A frustrating or a weak or hurt or bitter or unhealthy Christianity. Everyone say this. It's not okay. Good. It's not okay to just believe in Jesus while not encountering his power in our lives we can't just say oh I received salvation five years ago so when how is the power of the Holy Spirit working in you I have no idea what you're saying about that you see you can't just say I believe in Jesus but you're not living your life encountering his power each day of your life I get it there are some days that it's rough there are some days that are in the gutter there are some days that you're in tears there are some days where you feel like you're drowning but come on are you encountering his power in those moments? Those moments might be beneficial for you so that you can relate and experience that power that he wants you to live in. It's not okay to just believe, but how about encountering? If things are not working, it may have nothing to do with God not being present, but it may have everything to do with us not responding to the presence of God. It might have not, I don't feel like God's in this thing anymore. No, no. It might be that you're just not in this thing anymore. Don't blame your spouse. Don't blame your friend. Don't blame your church. Don't blame your job. Don't blame, say where am I in his presence and how am I responding to it? If you were here today say, ah, worship wasn't that good. No, the truth is your worship wasn't that good. My worship was good today. Are you guys with me? That's the mindset we have to have as a church Oh, that word wasn't good enough. Well, what's the word he's speaking into your life throughout the week? I'm trying to tell you guys, don't come over here and be about what? I want you to fill me. But no, Lord, together we're going to fill up this atmosphere and see heaven come down and see deeper glory. (laughs) He first loved. We did an altar call, and I was like, man, God, I thought you were going to stir more people for that. And I know that the altar call is not a measuring to what the message did. I know that, so don't come after a certain say, Pastor, have you ever thought about it? I know that. But what I'm trying to say is, have you responded from two weeks from the message of two weeks ago and recognized that maybe the greatest problem with us, with that, with her, with him, with them, with it, with that? Maybe all of it is the way I am not responding into his presence. Come on, guys. My life is in shambles. My marriage is a constant problem. I don't have joy. I'm in constant fighting depression. I don't read his word. I'm not really praying. And when I do, I don't have the right heart. A lifestyle of worship is non-existent to me. My life is a roller coaster. More downs than it is ups. I'm spiritually ill. I'm sick. I'm not healthy. I keep coming to church. Now with the heart and the mindset of gathering to give him the highest praise. I come because it's more of a fight to continue to survive. Me being here is more about me trying not to die than it is about me being more alive than ever. And maybe we've come to the conclusion right now where all of that is because we're not responding into his presence. We're not responding in his love. We're not responding in presence. So yes, shambles. Yes, depression. Yes, fighting. Yes, lack of joy. Because all of that we've been saying has been found in one place, at the feet in devotion, in the presence of God. Response. How many of you could see that a little bit different today? Hallelujah. How many could admit that your life This morning, something needs to give in it. How many can you say something needs to give? Mm. So four months ago and throughout midweek, we've been looking at a story in in Scripture. And I don't want to get too much into this story. I want to get into the next one, that it relates with the same group of people. But it's found in Luke 10. We're going to look at Mary one more time today. But but Luke 10, if you have your Bibles... (coughs) Open up to verse 38, and I want to, try to, I want to try to cause you to see something maybe that you didn't necessarily see, or maybe you saw it but you didn't pay too much attention to it in the next couple minutes. Luke ten thirty-eight. are you there? It says in verse 38, as Jesus and the disciples continued <coughs> on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet. Remember the story? Listening to everything that he was teaching. But Martha was so distracted by the big dinner, by serving. She was preparing. She was serving. And she was so distracted. So she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work to her to come and help me? And the Lord says to her, my dear Martha, other translations, repetition, emphasizing Martha, Martha. You're so worried and you're so upset over all these details and there's only one thing worth being concerned about. There's only one thing. Remember that? I continue to tell you one thing, one thing, and you all repeated it after me. Don't worry about it. We're going to get to the next story in a moment. There's only one thing that, that's worth being concerned about and your sister, right, Mary, has discovered it and it will never be taken away from her. I want you to see this, okay? In another translation, Jesus says it this way, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're troubled about many things. You're worried and you're troubled. Remember the list that I gave you. This is not working. 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 She comes to Jesus, and what is she saying? This is not working. This is not working. This is not working. And what does Jesus say? Oh, because you're what? You're worried and you're troubled. Another translation says, and you're anxious over many things. What? What? And and your sister is not because she has at. She's at the one place that will will never be taken away from her. Are you guys understanding this kind of stuff? Because, Martha, your main issue that nothing's working, that nothing's working, that nothing's working. And then because nothing's working, you automatically say, well, if it's not working, for sure it's not my fault. If it's not working, I'm going to the wrong church. If it's not working, I'm hanging around with the wrong people. If it's not working, no, maybe it's not working because you haven't found what your sister Mary has found. You're so busy serving that nothing's working when your sister Mary has found the one thing that she's found that worked for her. And that is at my feet where greater presence is found. The reason, Martha, while it's not working, it's not working and you continue to blame everyone else while it's not working is none other than you have not stopped doing what you're doing and gotten into the posture where your sister is at. So, I hope you understood what I just said. Your sister's responding. You're not. But I'm serving. Thank you. Thank you for serving. Because we could serve, and, and we need you to serve, because we need to operate here. And we need the homeless to be fed, and we need orphans to be collected and loved on, and we need... We need all the things that Jesus says is, is true religion. We need all those things. We need that. We need to visit hospitals. and We need all those things. But don't let all those things substitute the greatest thing. Which is that stuff, that stuff, that stuff is the fruit of the posture that I live at daily. Because I'm here with him, I do that for him. But don't ever allow that stuff for him be what represents being here with him. Because then, like Martha, you're going to miss it. And you, too, will be fed up with the person that you call your sister. Do you understand that Martha's issue had, had, had nothing to do... With Mary? But yet she blamed it all on Mary? I really want to poke at your heart. Why? Because we need to bring growth into this place. And we need to bring growth into our own lives. Maybe, let me just pick on myself, ready? Maybe my greatest issue has nothing to do with anyone. And ask my wife, I really do know how to complain about others. And, about, and people that are spiritually above me. People that are my pastors. Oh yeah, I struggle with that too. I complain about my pastor's. And I've recognized, and this stinks because they're gonna hear this message, and I'm gonna get a phone call this week. But, but I'm glad they're gonna hear this part. I've recognized that most of that is not their issue. Most of all that that I'm saying is my issue. You guys understanding that it's my issue. It's because I'm not postured. So when I'm not postured, my vision is blurred, and I see the things in ways in which God doesn't intend for me to see them. My life is in shambles. My marriage is in a constant battle. My, you guys see that? We start to, to experience those things. Mary was distracted in all that she was doing in all of her serving. Mary was distracted in the one that she sat. Um, um, Martha was distracted in all the things that she was doing in all of her serving. Martha was distracted, but Mary was distracted in the one that she sat before. Martha was so caught up with everything. Mary was so caught up with one. Many things occupied Martha's mind. One thing occupied Mary's. Martha devoted herself to many things, but lost the importance of being lost, of being fixed in devotion, in the one true thing that really matters, and that's what her sister Mary chose. Sitting at someone's feet, the posture of that, is actually a sign in the Bible of one who is a disciple of another. I'm a student of that teacher. And do you, do you know that Mary's name is not mentioned as one of the 12 disciples? But she chose for herself that I don't need for you to validate or someone else to tell me that I'm a disciple. I am going to do it with a lifestyle of his feet. And by itself, my posture will reveal that I'm a disciple. She wasn't any of the 12. Look at the list of the 12 disciples. There are 12 men. But Mary was a different kind of disciple. She was a a disciple just as, I'll tell you what, Judas was one of the 12 disciples who eventually gets out of the the name list and someone else comes in for his part. But he was one of the original 12. But do you know what? I'll tell you right now that Mary as a disciple was experiencing greater glory than Judas as one of the original 12 disciples. Judas saw things and heard things and witnessed things that Mary would have never seen, heard, and witnessed. But yet Mary was at a whole different place than Judas was. Judas was stealing from Jesus and Mary was at a place just getting. Giving and receiving from it. like It was a whole different issue of the heart. Let's get into that for a moment. John chapter 12, here's the passage and, and I, I don't think I'm going to get into everything that I want to share today but I, I might just stop in John 12 and then we'll see what happens next week. And, but I'm going to stop here and then we'll repeat some things next week. But in John 12 verses 1 through 11, just this is some time after Luke 10. This is now right after some time. Here you go. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. Guys, Lazarus is is Mary and Martha's brother, okay? Some some believe that Martha was the oldest and um, Mary was the middle child and that Lazarus was the young brother. And there's so much of, of reasons why they say that. But that's not even important to today's story. Martha's always, you see, the one that's leading, inviting people to her home and all of that. And, and she might be the older one. Mary might be the middle one. And Lazarus is the little brother that everyone, you know, he's just the spoiled little brother everyone loves. But, but let's get into this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. Verse 2, and a dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Stop for a moment. Duh, that, that's great, that's understandable, and I respect that, and I would say, why not? The man just resurrected your brother, and he just resurrected you. The least you could do is have a nice dinner party for him. Hey, thanks for, thanks for raising me from the dead. You want to come over for dinner one day is at least the, uh, something, you know, it's good. Come over. So, so it's in Jesus' honor. Let's go back to verse 2. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Everyone see that? What's wrong with this sentence? No one gets it yet. Martha served. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. She, she's, do, she's same behavior. Same what? Response. Her response should have been different. Shoot, didn't Jesus just school you some months back about this stuff? And now you're back at the same place where you're so busy serving? Lazarus invites Jesus over and Martha serves again. And when I read that, I said, why is she serving again? Why is she serving again? She should have said, Jesus, you're here. So, I learned what you said a few months ago, so I'm just going to go to your feet like you told me to see what happened. <laughs> At least do it hypocr- in, a hip- in a hypocritical way, but do it. <laughs> Not really, but you guys get what I'm saying. Do it. At least try it out. But, but she's serving again. This is going to get good. So, So dinner's prepared for his honor. Martha serves. Lazarus is among those who ate with him. Verse 3. Then Mary, (laughs) she's so good at doing this, takes a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. This is not the same woman in Luke, which is the, 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 the prostitute woman that comes behind the feet of Jesus and pours it. Mary and that woman are two different um, stories. This is Mary, Martha's sister, for not once in scripture do I ever see. She's selling this perfume in her body over for prostitution. Not once do I see that. This is, this is a whole total different, p- different people are invited. There's a different conversation going on in this dinner table. It's the same Mary that we just read about that was at his feet. <laughs> Lazarus says, I invited Jesus over. Prepare a big meal because you know he comes with an entourage. Martha's first instance is to what? I'm going to go get the kitchen ready and I'll start cooking. Mary's first instance is, Jesus is what? He's coming over. I'm going to go to my room. I'm going to go to my room and I'm going to look for the greatest thing that I could offer him because I've recognized that in my life and my devotion and my commitment to him it's that everything in me has come to a place that something needs to give if he's coming over. And she goes into a room and I can almost picture her flipping her bed over, kicking stuff off her nightstand and she's looking because it clicked. I know what I could give him, the expensive perfume. If you study it, it says it was a year's wages. That's a very expensive perfume. How many of you make 40000 50000 Okay, that perfume was what someone made in a whole entire year. Very expensive. None of that kind of perfume is in my house at least. And and she's looking all over for that perfume. That perfume that is sitting. I don't even think she actually had to look for it that much. Let me tell you why. Because it's so expensive. I know if I would have gone, if I rewind and go back, she probably kept it in a place where it's secure where no one or even Lazarus when he was a little boy would have broken it because she knows how expensive that perfume is. So I bet she ran into her room. She knew exactly where it was at. She grabbed exactly what she knew what she needed to grab and she took to him the most expensive thing that belonged to her and it was an expensive perfume. Wait a minute, Laz, Jesus is coming over. Martha says, yeah, I'm going to start cooking. Mary says, alright, I'm going to start figuring out what I'm going to pour at his feet today. Wow. One was so busy, like, wow, people are coming. I'm cooking. She's so wow, Jesus is coming. I'm entering. I'm, if Jesus, come on, worship, worship. Go back to worship time. If Jesus were to walk in physically right now, what would your response be? Mary's was knock over the room. Make a mess. Find the perfume, I'm pouring it at his feet. Come on, what would your response be if his love just entered this room? You better have something to offer. What's your greatest perfume? I hope the answer is my life. Why do I say that? Because Paul at the end of it said, my life has been given like a drink offering. The most expensive thing that comes from me. Is my life, Paul says. Jesus does not need to walk into this room. I'm going to tell you right now that Jesus is in this room. What's your response like? What's your response like? I'm going to continue to live in sin. Good luck. I'm going to continue to hate my spouse. Good luck. I'm going to continue to be bitter. Good luck. But Jesus is here before you. What will you present And respond to him. Mary says, I ain't cooking with you again, Martha. You could get mad at me all you want. But I ain't cooking again. I'm going to come to his feet. Let's keep reading because we're only in verse 3. So she took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume, made it from the essence of nard. and (laughs) She anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. I'm going to get to that. But Judas, Judas Iscariot, the disciple... Who would soon betray him said, that perfume was worth a year's wage. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, verse 6. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some of it from himself. Do you know that Jesus' very own money was what he used to betray Jesus. Like, like he just, he made, he made deals with people who don't have to talk, like, like he knew what he was doing and he didn't care about the poor, so he's complaining about the expensive perfume being poured out, not for once saying, wow, look what she's giving him. Instead, why are you giving it to him? Verse 6, not that he cared. Verse 7, so Jesus says, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Verse 9, when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus. He's the spectacle of the town, okay? He's dead for four days and now everyone finds out he's alive. Everyone wants to go see him. Also to see Lazarus who Jesus raised from the dead. Verse 10, then the leading priests, religious leaders, decided to kill Lazarus too. What does Lazarus have to do with this? Verse 11, for it was because of him, Lazarus, that many of the people had deserted the religious leaders, okay, and began to believe in what? Jesus. Everyone say this with me. What a scene. What a a spectacle. What a scene this was. What a scene. We're going to wrap it up because there's no way that I'm going to be able to, it's just impossible. Trust me, I have so much. But we're going to wrap it up right when I'm done describing this. But what a scene this is. Jesus is invited over as the guest of honor. And again, I, I, that's a fitting thing to do through his miracle of resurrecting Lazarus. But, but back to what we just said. Martha is seen again doing, which is not necessarily evil, which is not necessarily a sin, but it's not necessarily the most important thing. Pastor Javi told me right as we entered the 10-year anniversary of our church, and I was telling him a little bit of things about our church, he said this over, over, over brunch, I guess we call it, one day he, he looked at me and he said, "Rigo, there are important things, and I've shared this with some of you, there are more important things, and then there are the most important things. And so many times we get caught up in the important or in the more important things as if they were the most important things. But don't ever forget that there's important things, there's more important things, but don't stop living at the place where there's the most important things. Mary's, Martha's serving was important because people needed to eat. But Martha's serving was not the most important because she also needed to eat. she also needed to come into a presence. So Martha is seen serving again, and Lazarus now most likely is probably sitting right next to Jesus at this moment. And and here's Jesus now, and he's traveling with an entourage. And his disciples are there, and they're eating with them. And we know this because Judas Iscariot is there. Some invited guests are there. I'm, I'm, I'm just picturing that there's family for sure Lazarus's family wants to see the man that resurrected their nephew the man that resurrected their grandson the man that resurrected his best friend so there was family and there was friends and probably neighbors around the neighborhood and then people that weren't even invited began to show up when they hear that Jesus is there they weren't invited but they come uninvited we all know people like that but they come uninvited and I believe that's almost symbolic for the church. The church is open not just for the invited. The church is open for anyone. Because the uninvited, they don't need an invitation because the Holy Spirit already invites them. That's why when, when the whole parable of go go and grab people for the feast, and he says, I've gone everywhere. He says, No, no, go to the byways and to the highways and find anyone you Anyone is invited to this thing. So the uninvited said, I'm going if Jesus is there. This is good. I'm going to go see him, but not just him. I want to see the spectacle, Lazarus, who's now alive. I want to see if this stuff is real for myself. And then some of the religious leaders who are priests here, they decide to show up too, uninvited. With the intention, listen, not to eat with Jesus and to glorify him, but instead, we just read it in this passage, but it was to kill Lazarus who now becomes a threat to them. When I read that and they wanted to kill Lazarus too, I said, man, poor guy. He just died for four days. Let him live a little longer. But their killing him had everything to do with you are now marked as a threat. Why do you think that Lazarus was marked as a threat? You think he was quiet about being resurrected? How many of you have been resurrected through the Lord? A lot of you raised your hand. Do you think it's okay to be quiet? If you've been resurrected, how many of you have been resurrected and you haven't shut up? (laughs) Praise God. One man. Shame on this house. (laughs) You haven't been able to shut up. I've been resurrected and all I could do is tell people my story. That's what Lazarus was doing. So he becomes a threat. Why? Shut your mouth. Why? Because the more you talk and go through villages, the more people are believing your story and following him rather than us. So they they try to kill him. See, he is the evidence that this Jesus, the signs and wonders that only God can do. So his response as well of this great love is I'm gonna tell the world. Jesus was enough of a threat. With every single miracle he did, it was worse for the religious leader. But now Lazarus is alive again and he's telling his story and it shakes up their whole religious system and their whole agenda about being controlling and power over the people. It's a threat to them. Stop talking because I'm losing power and control over people. There are establishments that their main agenda is to control and have power over you. They were losing control. I know that. Verse 10 says, the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus, verse 11, for it was because of him, Lazarus, that many of the people deserted them, the religious leaders, and believed in Jesus. So many, I mean, what a scene. But in this scene, do not miss the greatest thing happening at this dinner. It's the second time we see Mary at the feet of Jesus. And this time she pours out anointing his feet with this very expensive perfume. And other gospels say not only did she anoint his feet, but she anointed his head. You have a woman, listen, because I'm, I'm, this is it. You have a woman who is giving from a costly place. From a costly place. And she anoints his head and his feet with the expensive perfume in front of many in that room. And, 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 and all of those in that room, I'm sure it would hurt them. It, it, it really poked at their heart. Why? Because I believe, even some of the disciples and some of the other people that were there, that they would have, it would have taken so much for them to give to Jesus like that. They would have given, but they would have given not, not to that extreme. They would have given where it would have been beneficial for them. How many of us give to the Lord our lives, but as long as it's beneficial for us? Many of these people would have given, but in a a way where I'm still comfortable enough. But not Mary. She gives from a place of surrender, of priceless, from a place of everything. What do I mean by that? That everything is truthfully nothing. I give you what's most expensive from a place of what? Emptying out. Because in my emptying, I recognize that I'm actually most filled. That's so good. And we've seen this before. I told you in Luke chapter 7, the sinful woman, she shows up at the Pharisee's house and she pours fragrant oil on Jesus' feet, wipes his feet with her tears and her hair. But like Mary, she knew that everything is nothing if it's not given to the glory of the Lord. Something needed to give and Mary saw that. And Mary gave from something that could have been sitting, listen, gaining interest. As a savings to one day use it on something that she knew she would need. Think about what you would do with that expensive perfume, letting it gain interest. Maybe she was going to use it one day for her wedding. To buy land. A house. A future family. The kids schooling in the future. Maybe the poor. Maybe the widow. But Mary spends it all on a dinner night. With Jesus at her house. And scripture says that she doesn't just pour it at his feet. The Bible says... She anoints his feet. And the word anoint in scripture does not mean she drips it on him. I'm going to save some for myself because this is expensive. But to show you that I love you, at least I'm going to offer you something. So she doesn't just sprinkle fragrant oil on his feet. Scripture says she anoints it. And anoint is a totally different word to use. Because the word anoint, as we've learned here before, means smear. (laughs) She smeared Jesus. Talk to me about how weird and awkward that is. He is eating his dinner. And he now is drenched with perfume. How do I know he's drenched? Because the Bible says the whole house was filled with the fragrance. I almost feel like Mary set the atmosphere up for the house. Her pouring to Jesus set the atmosphere for everyone else that was going to come into his presence. That's why all we need is about a handful of you to start burning for Jesus and setting the atmosphere. And the rest of us will eventually get it, hopefully, and jump into the fragrance of his feet. She pours what's expensive. Not everyone will understand this, but, and especially on that day, but she forsook all her livelihood because the expensive perfume was of no cost and of no value compared to the feet of Yeshua, of Jesus Christ, her Lord, and her Messiah. She basically said, you have more value Than anything I could pour to you. It reminds me of three things. Ready? When Jesus says, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all, he cannot be my disciple. It reminds me, in Luke 21, when Jesus was at the temple, he watched the rich dropping all their gifts into the collection box. But then a poor widow came, and she dropped what is two small coins. And he looks at his disciples, and he says, this poor widow, she gave more than the rest of them. For they gave a tiny part. Of their many of their surplus, but she, being poor, she gave everything she has. Jesus is not interested just in your giving, because we could all give, but we could all give from plenty. What Jesus is interested in is is your giving? is it from the core of your being? Is it from your awe? Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this, and he was known for saying this, and he wrote this in one of his books. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come on. Something needs to give. Something needs to give. Next week, I'll jump into Judas Iscariot a little bit. And I'll jump into the five examples that I shared two weeks ago. I don't know if you remember them. The adulterous woman, Bethesda. The woman at the well, Peter, Zacchaeus. And maybe some other examples and what needs to give and what that looks like. But right now as, as we end, what needs to give? Let's go back to the beginning for a moment. My life is in shambles. My marriage a constant problem. I don't have joy. I'm constantly fighting depression. I don't read his word. I'm not really praying. And when I do, I'm not feeling anything. My heart's not right. A lifestyle of worship is non-existent to me. My life is a roller coaster with more downs than ups. Spiritually, I'm ill. I'm not healthy. I'm, my, uh, my spiritual man is sick. I'm coming to church, but not with the heart, with the mindset and gathering to give him the highest praise. I come because it's more a fight to continue to survive. Me being here is more about trying not to die than it is about me being more alive than ever come on if that speaks to you today just like mary who comes before his presence and at his feet and releases what's most expensive and most costly to him because in reality she was revealing to him what is most costly and what is of most worth is not even what i'm pouring but it's the one in whom i'm pouring it out to. It's you, Jesus. How many of you could say amen? And if you study that well, you will recognize that her pouring and her anointing his feet has everything to do, if you study it, with showing him, I'm, 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 I'm publicly proclaiming to you that I am committed to you, that I'm entering into a devotion and I don't care Who around thinks that this is weird or inappropriate? I'm going to make a spectacle if I have to. But you've entered the room and I have something to give. And I'm not going to let you leave without giving it to you. Because you're of that much worth. So then I I get very personal with you right now. And all those things that you are battling and struggling and aching and, and, and filled with and all that stuff that is stopping you. Come on, who is of greater worth? What is of greater worth? And can you admit right now, I'm going to make this declaration today. I'm going to respond that in my life, something needs to give. And I'm going to come before the Lord with the thing which is the most value, at least in my life. And I'm going to give it because I have the revelation that he's of more worth. And he's of more value than anything I am or anything that I have. So I come to your feet. And I want to be found here. I, I, I want to live here. I've recognized that my issues is none other than because I'm, I'm not responding to your presence. How many of you are doing a lot, but you're not doing the one thing? How many of you are doing a lot of good but you're not really getting caught up in doing the greatest thing? So so what you need personally is his feet and your response there. What your marriage needs is his feet and his response there. What your kids need is his feet and your response there. What your church needs is his feet and our response there. The greatest place that And the greatest thing that we could do is to find his presence and mark that, mark it as the most valuable thing in my life. And the thing going forward which I am going to honor the most going out from here today. How many of you could say that's me? I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we're done. But you know today that something needs to give from you. And maybe you got to come up and grab the hand of someone. And maybe you got to come by yourself. And, but I wanna, we want to sing a song over you. We want to come before the Lord and, and worship. But if you know that this message is for you, that something just needs to give all I could tell you is that everything that we've said before is not what God intended for you. And if you know today that that's not what He intends for you, then come to the place in which He intends for you. Respond to His presence in getting caught up with the most important thing, the most valuable thing, and honor that and live there for the rest of your life. Watch it transform you in the way that you do life as a whole. So as we sing over you today, the altar is open. I don't know if someone will pray for you, maybe, maybe not, but, but I want the altar being open, be your public de- declaration of Mary coming to his feet and saying, I'm going to give you this as a sign of devotion. As a sign of commitment, here's my response to your great love first shared upon to me. Here's my response for you walking into this room. I give you what's most valuable, because I found the one who is of most value to me. The altar's open, and if you take that challenge and say, "Not just am I going to respond right now." But I'm going to respond every day of my life. I challenge you to do that. And let the Lord transform you each day. It's not just a one. Listen, his feet is not just a one time moment. It's finding his feet. We'll we'll continue the dialogue on that next week. What that looks like. It's finding his feet. On a daily basis. His feet. His feet. Come on, how many of you need to run to his feet? Let's go ahead and let's sing. And let's ask the Lord to just. Lord, here we are coming to your feet as you visit us today. Hallelujah. Thank you.